And we're back. Hey, everyone. Eric, hey. Eric, you are muted. There we go. There it Yay. is. Hey. hey. All right. So we are back. We've got our refreshments. Skull. Skull. Oh, Blue Point. New oh, I like that Blue Point. That's hot. All right. Right now I'm drinking Blue Point Pinstripe Pills and... It does not taste of ashes, even though it should, because it's Yankees branded. And I am not a Yankees fan by any stretch, but this beer is pretty good. And I like a nice Pilsner in the summer. So going to drink it anyway. Yeah, boy. So I have here some, um, some Trooper I have over for my birthday party a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, the ones I have left at this point are my least favorites. <laughs> Oh, you know, I've heard mixed things about the um, Trooper. Yeah, I've heard it's not that great. I drank it once, didn't enjoy it, and put the bottle on my shelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say this. They're, they're, within the Trooper range, there are beers that are really good, and there are beers that are kind of just like very uninteresting. Um, the standard for me, the, one is the least interesting, I would say. Probably that or the IPA. And unfortunately... This is the, the IPA is what I have at the moment. The, the Really, the better ones are uh, the Porter, the Red and the Black Porter. I really like Sun and Steel, and the, the Stout, the Fear the Dark Stout is really good. I had no idea that there was more than one, to be quite honest. Right, because they don't really distribute those in the U.S., but when I do uh-huh. make it to the U.K., one of my goals is to visit the Robinson Brewery and try all the yeah. Iron Maiden beers. Mm. And then my secondary goal is to try and find my way back to the hotel after, but we'll, we'll get there. Anyway, welcome back, all you metal maniacs. You've got George. You've got Tom. It's a Hattie. And you have Eric. And you have another, another podcast. podcast. Cheers, everyone. I've got me some nice, refreshing water straight from the teat of Mother Earth. Sitting here. Mm-hmm. Look at you all being healthy with your water. I mean, we were drinking beer and mead before, so it's not really it's not really offset by the water. Well, I've got another beer in my hands. So yeah, I am staying well hydrated. As Bruce Dickinson once said, make sure to drink plenty of beer at concerts. That's the only thing that will keep you hydrated. <laughs> Don't have any of that water shit. They're lying to you. <laughs> uh, actually, on stage uh, the other day, he had a, he had a trooper and alcohol. Uh, the al- alcohol-free variation. They had a trooper on stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really rad. I wonder is that like available to the public or is that like just for him? The alcohol-free one is actually um, there's a Swedish brewery that did a sort of a collaboration with Robinson, and they they have an alcohol-free version. Uh, oh, very cool. That's what he was doing. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Standing that brand. Indeed. Judas Priest should do a beer. Yeah. They, they did a rum. They did a rum, and it wasn't widely available. There's a lot of bands that do products. Like, like for instance, there's a Motorhead um, uh, rum for a while you can get. And yeah, they did like a Motorhead red wine. It struck me as weird there was no... Eventually, they did do Motorhead whiskey. But I mean, like, well, that's, that's what you do first, right? Need. That's the one you don't need. If you want to have Motorhead whiskey, I mean, why not just pick up a regular, ordinary bottle of Jack Daniels? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that Lemmy drank all the time. Well, because Jack Daniels is terrible. Well, that's true. <laughs> also, you, you could have, like, Motorhead, if they did a... Anything Motorhead could produce themselves. That's true. Yeah, that was Motorhead before Motorhead, dude. It was Jack Daniels. Well, they could have, like, if they could have done a collaboration with Jack Daniels... I mean, you know, if they, if they did, if there was a Jack Daniels bottle with a Motorhead kind of logo on it. Oh, I mean, they could, they, they, they'd just be, they'd be just, just print, be printing money, basically. Yeah, uh, pretty that, much. Yeah, yeah, man, that's like all the passive income you're ever going to need. Was a bit too high, bra- I mean, high bra- uh, all, you know, within reason. It was it was a kind of smoky kind of thing, which didn't really strike me as something that he necessarily would drink. Mm. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I'm not a fan of smoky whiskeys. A few years ago. I was given a fancy bottle of whiskey and I was saving it for a special occasion. And eventually that occasion came and that was me and my girlfriend moved into this apartment. I had a sip of it and it was like, it was so insanely smoky. It was undrinkable. Oh God. (laughs) I have no idea about any of this thing. I have never drunk a drop of alcohol. So I think I find all of this conversation very interesting and funny. Oh my goodness. Man, it, it is really kind of a surreal experience being the one person in a room full of drunk people who's not drunk. 
I'm sure you're enjoying it just fine. Like our drunk, our drunk ass is like rambling about priest. Oh, it's going to take a lot of years and needs to get me drunk, bro. Yeah. I'm still coherent enough to talk about today's subject, which is the bloodstone. Yeah. And the 40th anniversary of screaming for vengeance. Holy crap. Oh yeah. That's fun timing. Yeah. Screaming for Vengeance is now older than Rockarola was when I first started listening to Priest. <laughs> Imagine this, that. Yeah, man. 12th of July, 1982, this seminal classic of an album was first released. And hey, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't need any introduction. If you're listening to a Judas Priest podcast, you've heard at least one song from Screaming for Vengeance in your life. Yeah. Probably the whole damn album. Yeah. Dare I say more people have heard a song from Screaming for Vengeance than any other Priest album. A little bit of context. Screaming for Vengeance is my third favorite Judas Priest album behind Sin After Sin, um, behind Painkiller. And Bloodstone is my favorite song on the entire album. I have been waiting a long time to talk about this one. Could not be more excited to get into it. Eric, glad to have you with us for this one. Thank thank you very much. Uh, This is the first one that I think, if I recall way back when I started talking to George about joining you guys, I uh, recall, I think this is the first one I requested, I think. One of them, one of them, definitely. I think so. Yeah, we got you on for Judas Rising because I knew we were going to talk about Bloodstone when we got around to the Screaming for Vengeance anniversary. And so we're glad to have you back. You're actually our first returning guest, of which we are going to have a few more this year, but no spoilers. And this is our first tri-continental episode. Oh, wow. That's that's old territory for you, where you often have guests from three different continents. But for us, it's the first time. You've got me and Tom over here in New York. You've got Eric in Sweden. And you've got Hattie in Asia. So congrats to us for making this tri-continental thing happen for the first time. Yay. Yay. That's really cool. We are connecting Judas Priest fans around the world. Yeah, we are inclusive here. That's just the ma- the magic of this kind of stuff because you, like like when we did uh, we when we did ours over on Maiden A to Z, it was like these are people 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 who would not, not would never meet otherwise yeah. coming together to do this really cool thing. And just because it's a, a, a all because of a love of a certain just a band or it, it's amazing this kind of how this can unite people you know in such a really cool way uh, yeah yeah that, that's sort of been for me the biggest treat about doing maiden a to z is the fact that like me- meeting so many cool people around the world it seems like the world we made the world smaller in a certain certain way mm. and I, I mean you guys are doing the same thing it's 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 great i wish i thought of a more elegant way to put it but uh it, it's uh, it's been it's it's been exactly what I feel I personally needed during these last couple of years. Was you know it's been kind of rough for everyone, and you kind of people kind of maybe sort of felt isolated and alone. And podcasts like this, and so just meeting people from all you know, like doing a tricontinental podcast moment, uh, because of the fact that we all dig this band, we are very obviously not alone in this world. And that's sort of what these kind of podcasts I think have proven. Eric, I thought that was perfect, man. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was perfectly summed up. No, heavy metal transcends borders and cultures and race. And even languages. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It is It is magic in its purest form, dare I say. So what do we have to say about Screaming for Vengeance? So, like most people, Screaming for Vengeance was my introduction to the band. Everyone knows, like, you know, presumably, you know, for listeners who don't know, first song I ever heard from Priest was You Got Another Thing Coming. I'm screaming for vengeance. It happens to be my, um, like I said, it's my third favorite priest album. And I don't know, man, what can you say that hasn't been said about this album? It's such a classic. Mm. I mean, look at this track list, the hellion electric eye Mm. riding on the wind, bloodstone Mm. screaming for vengeance. You've got another thing common devil's Mm. child just hits upon hits. Yeah. This album, I think, is re- this is the album actually that really propelled Priest into superstardom. Um, okay. You know, this was the album that got them huge in the United States. We, you got another thing coming, had a ton of radio airplay. Ironic considering Take These Chains was the single that they marketed first, which is a song that is good, 
but does not have the same power as mm. got another thing. Um, and like so we talked about in that song's episode, man, yeah. that was almost an accidental hit. Yeah. And so screaming for vengeance is where they took everything that people loved about British steel and they kind of trimmed it down. It's a much more focused effort. And I think this album truly made their career as we know it today. And they still would have been a successful band without it, but without Screaming for Vengeance, they do not achieve legendary status. Mm. To this day, it's their best-selling album, and it sold $2 million. That probably doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, where the best-selling albums of all time have sold over $20 million. But you know what? $2 million is still an accomplishment that's further than a ton of other bands have gotten. And this album had some serious hits, like mm. you said, man. But hey, what do you guys think about Screaming for Vengeance? For me, this was also sort of what got me into them. Uh, it was also this kind of what first occurred to me hearing this, because listening to this way back when, is how there, you could you could hear, because again, when I mentioned the last time, last last episode, there's sort of sometimes comparisons between Maiden and Priest. So I was sort of aware of that going in. But you could hear this. This, is, this had this sort of like a snarl. It was more aggressive. It had this sort of like, a heaviness that sometimes that you know maiden don't really not not that they're heavy but they do they do something a bit different and you have like the, that's the opening bits of electric eye really is you know are so aggressive and just fast and fucking you know it's it's um just heavy as fuck and like the, the entire album for me uh i don't think there's a weak link on it mm. um, and the out the artwork is badass and you know it's it's just, it's perfect essentially for me this is this is probably this is my favorite Priest album, I'd say. Very cool. Yeah. Hattie, what about you? Well, when I talk about Priest, I always like relate those things to the that that era of politics and everything. So here my take for this one is that Pretty Steel was an album or what the thing that uh encapsulated the British spirit, the European or possibly whatever was going there. But from Screaming for Vengeance, they went international as if they were uh, representing the needs and the frustration of the youth of the whole world in a way. And I think when we are going to listen to this song, I will possibly have more specific takes because I'm a nerd about history when it comes to Christ albums. And there are very reasonable reasons to think that they may meant something with like whatever was going on then so yeah i think they were trying to reach the world and the use of the then world whatever like the unrest was happening then and it's a reflection of that that's well said i mean let's not forget this album screaming for vengeance only came out two years after british steel an album with a big hit called Breaking the Law. So Priest, at this point, they still had quite a lot to say about mm. what was going on in the world around them. The golden future. Yeah, this is the album that really, like, this transcends, like, the local politics of England during, like, post-industrialization and is much more, like, broad in its conceptual basis. Like, come on, man, like, on a more base level, how... How epic is the opening to the Hellion? Like, does that not just set your loins on fire every time you mm. hear it? Oh, it does. It certainly does. And if it every doesn't, then, time. And if <laughs> it doesn't, then talk to your doctor and ask him if Viagra is right for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Yeah. Well, I have a I have a question about that actually. Because not 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 talking to doctors about Viagra, but actually, just <laughs> pretty because we debated on. Uh, on our pod, uh, or just so sort of speculated, when, when they do the Hellion, uh, when that's played live, do they have they ever played it, or has, has that always been a playback tape? And they they start playing on, on Electric Eye. Do, have they ever done it where they've actually played the whole thing live? I not to the to the extent of my knowledge, no. I think it's always a playback. All right, it is. But I'll give you something that's almost as good. Here is Rob Halford's band playing it for real. Ooh.
Wow, that was a really good rendition too. That sounded almost spot on. It's funny there. There uh, is the gentleman we see on guitar there, Mr. Pat Lockman, also uh, briefly the front man of Damage Plan. Really? No shit. Yeah. That's the guy from Damage Plan. Huh. I learned something new today. That that's a that's I think that that band had they not gone on would have really done some cool stuff. Um, but that's not why we're here. So we'll, we'll get, we can talk about another. We can we, we can discuss that another time. Yeah, yeah. The tragedy of Damage Plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you another song that has some good social commentary in it. Bloodstone, mm. track number mm. four on Screaming for Vengeance. Mm. And Tom, this is a song that you've been eager to talk about since we laid out our plans for this season of the podcast. Mm. And now we're here. And I have to tell you, man, very, very good choice. This is a kick-ass song. Yeah. And for an album with Electric Eye and You've Got Another Thing Coming, it says a lot that Bloodstone is your favorite track above those massive hits. Yeah. And Eric, what is it about this song that made you so excited to want to talk about it? Well, so back when I was first listening to this album, I uh, recalled that in the intro uh, really got me going. I Because a lot of times, I, there's a few songs in my sort of, when I look back as uh, uh, my life as a, as a guitarist uh, through the years, I can like... I can remember like a certain amount of songs where like the second I heard them, I'm like, I need to learn how to do that. That's so cool. This is yeah. one of those songs. Um, I haven't attempted to play in quite a while. Uh, and initially when I did hear this and tried to do it, I don't think I really had the chops to pull it off. Uh, but it's it's so cool. It's just a, such a really badass intro. Yeah. Uh, it has the sort of like the sort of palm muted kind of arpeggios with the uh, the, the, the hammer-ons. It just, it just sounds so cool. And then it goes into this another riff, which is a little bit more straightforward kind of you know rock riff but very effective and it's just it just works so well but that intro is what really got me uh yeah got my blood pumping back in the day yeah that was basically what i did for me too that opening riff with glenn tipton and the tone on his guitar is unbelievable oh god yeah dude it's amazing let me hear it right now oh for the love of god don't make me beg do it God, the groove is unreal. And And that is, believe it or not, that is my favorite drum fill that Dave Holland ever did. Just so simple. Yeah, just like really well-timed and perfect for this song. It's very sort of like heavy. It's slow. It's not really like particularly like intricate or complex, but he just pulls it off with so much flair and confidence. Yeah, you have to give him the sort of credit. His drumming skills may have been basic, but he certainly knew what to do yeah. with the skills he had. Yeah, he knew exactly what this song needed and he delivered. Yeah, there's a very playful feeling to the riff, almost rascally and rebellious. Mm. And I just love the way it sounds. And then when the drum beat kicks in, uh, oh man, dude. I'm all in. I'm ready to dance by the time you hit that part in the song. Yeah. I must think, everyone else. Yeah. I feel like the song actually has a sort of a, a weight to it, almost like a direness, especially when you get into the lyrical themes, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Yeah. Got a quote here from Rob. He says, I know I keep saying this, but I love the way that song starts. It's got a real cool riff that Gwen came up with. Each of the tracks on the record start off with either an individual riff or something of a musical melodic passage that kind of sets the scene before the rest of the song kicks in. Then he says, Bloodstone's got a great breakdown, this kind of rhythm where, I don't know if Dave Holland came up with it, it's got that chunk 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 between the vocal phrases after every second line. And it sort of snaps with a rhythm 
It's a little bit paranoid. He actually goes on to say he has no idea what the lyrics mean when he's looking back. But <laughs> hey, we'll we'll try and make up our own meaning with it. Yeah, I mean, most people do anyway. So right. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would really love to know what had been going on in his mind when he wrote this song. Because it seems like the narrator is grappling with something really, really heavy going on. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's interesting in the sense that it's obviously something very like he said, heavy is going on in the storyteller here's life, or but it's not entirely clear what it is, which also makes it very for any listener, you know, who's going through something rough. It, it, they can sort of you know insert themselves in the situation, which makes it um, gives it an extra maybe dimension for someone also going through rough stuff. For me, I've always sort of focused so much on the music bit of this song. I've not really de- didn't didn't do any deep dives in the lyrics, so this is going to be interesting too for me, just in the sense that I've not really dabbled into the lyrics too much in this one. I think we're going to try and figure out the message together because I'm in your boat. I have no freaking clue what Rob is singing about, but hey. So it doesn't rob, so it's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it all sounds good, so. Yeah. Well, let's hear this first, and then we'll figure it out together. Yeah. I've been trying. There's no denying it's sending me out of my mind. Yeah. I've seen reason change to treason. It's losing its sense of all kind. How much longer will it take for the world to see? We should learn to live and simply let it be. Well, I mean, all right. So the reason change to treason seems something to do with having, uh, Something you thought was very, uh, a tr- something you thought was a truth that turns out to be not at all that, or something you, uh, or maybe just again, like we sort of, you know, just changing one's mind about something very drastically because of a circumstance. Treason, well, that's how I did. Treason. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. You can make that exactly what you're saying, where you sort of have this belief, and then later you find out that it was totally misguided. I, I think that ties in well with the next line, it's losing its sense of all kind. Like when you get to a point where your belief system is shattered, you don't really know what to think anymore. It seems like almost your life can lose its sense of direction and you don't understand what to believe at that point. I have a different interpretation of that. I think like I've seen reason change to treason. It could be if you've got like a genuine grievance with something, but your mm-hmm. response is so over the, like your response is unwarranted because of how over the top it is. It's like the equivalent of me flicking you and then you hitting me with a shovel. It's kind of what I think is like the response is not proportionate to the act of trespassing, so to speak. Yeah. You could have that or mm-hmm. you also have, I see something in here that you could relate back to any sort of social justice or a fight for good that ends up going too far mm. where it turns violent and sort of loses its initial meaning. And that's happened with revolutions in the past. Mm. Yeah. Like that whole thing of like, like be wary of fighting monsters, lest you become one. Yeah. Okay, so I think there are some like uh, historical references to this. Like when this song came up in 1981, they wrote it, I guess. 
So that was the time a lot of changes just has been made in political situation, in like the kind of social uh, uh, benefits they used to, the British people used to have having them. So those things were taken off of them like recently and the things that were taken off from them like uh, employment and all that, they were furious about it. And how like, I kind of got the hint from that line but changed to treason when it came because the things that were legal, like recently were turned illegal then and people were like later in the lyrics as it said that they were struggling with the reality and I think it ties to that as well. As as, as much as Judas Priest is always very open lyrically, so I think that your things are also like make sense. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I really like that. And Judas Priest, they've never been overtly political, but mm-hmm. at the same time, as an artist, you can't help but reflecting the world around you. It's something that comes out whether you want it to or not. Yeah. And these are what's going on in the world does affect how you think and you might have something to say about it even if you aren't explicit and i think that does get reflected in the lyrics like that and you had you had the early 1980s you had a lot of countries around the world going into sort of a societal shift rightward and more right-wing movements were gaining power and the u.s and the uk were becoming greatly more conservative and you know what it's sort of impossible for that to not have an effect on the way that you write your music when you see what's going on in the world. And Bloodstone, to me, it has lyrics that are pretty general, so you can relate it to anything that you want to. But if you really read into it, I think there are some messages you can come away with that are powerful. I was thinking just, uh, and again, I, I'm sure that knowing what we know, a lot of people probably re- tried to read in this kind of stuff, sort of in hindsight. But I was thinking, so obviously at this point he was still he was still in the he, has, he had not come out yet. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. thinking maybe this could also be the, you know, and the band is getting bigger, they're sort of venturing out into the world. Maybe, and I, I can obviously, and if I can, as a, as a gay man in a small town in England. There's not a hell of a lot of acceptance, and maybe there was sort of an idea like, well, you know, we get out in the bigger, you know, in the, in the, out in the world, there'll be more acceptance to be found. That really wasn't the case at that point. So mm-hmm. maybe just sort of being disillusions about that, that that kind of thing is out there and is not, and therefore how long, how much longer will it take the world to, uh, uh, to see? Uh, we should learn to live and, and simply let it be. That could that could be that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But again, like I said, I, I, it's it's probably very easy to to take a lot of the older stuff. And sort of make it about that, uh, even though it might not necessarily be at all. Like that was just, you know, just a spontaneous theory on my part. Right. And it's as good as any at this point, considering the original meaning is lost on the author. You're right, Eric. Like it's to some extent, and I've thought this too, to some extent, we do sort of look at these lyrics with a revisionist history, knowing that Rob Halford is a homosexual and we try and pick out these little hints. They're like, oh, he was probably talking about it here. But yeah. he might not have been. He might have just been writing a song and not had that in mind at all. We don't really yeah. know because we're not inside his brain. Oh, George, real quick. I'm sorry. You might want to charge this thing. So I'm getting on low power. It's going to last. Don't worry. All right, I believe you. All right. Yeah. Like, you know, politics and your lived experience informs your worldview. And it's hard not your worldview is going to bleed into your art, no matter what yeah. it is like pretty hard to remain like unconscious about it you know like definitely it seems to be the case here but i do love the line we should learn to live and simply let it be it's like that's like it's such a classic sentiment that seems to be lost on a lot of people it's like dude just live your life and let me live mine and i and we don't have to interact with each other if you don't want very true yeah but like we also don't have to kill each other either i agree to me, there is always sort of a message of world peace in here. We should learn to live and simply let it be. It's like, why are we fighting each other? And then when Rob sings Bloodstone, 
to me, the bloodstone is the earth. Like mm. the planet is the stone and it's blood to represent the sort of violent way of life that humans have had over mm. the course of history. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I was thinking something similar, like, like the bloodstone is almost like, um, like some sort of like spiritual or like, like an artifact, almost like think of like the sorcerer stone. It's just like, I don't know how, I don't know if I can properly articulate this thought, but I always thought of the bloodstone as something a little more metaphorical, but I mm. think that like, I mean, it is a metaphor, obviously, but I thought of it more as like a magic artifact almost. I mean, what the a hell costume. is a bloodstone anyway? I have no clue. I've heard the saying, you can't get blood from a stone. I, I mean, I don't yeah. know what that means. Well, but, let's see. Let's, it's also very possible you had the rest of the lyrics and then, you know, and then threw something in there that sounded cool. It just worked for that. That's also that people have that hasn't happened to other people. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Like, it could just be like, hey, that sounds cool as hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Man, I'm craving a little more of the song. What do you all think? Please. Let's do it. The lyrics in that second verse do sort of more imply hmm. sort of you know political system, a corrupt political system, you know, with a with a uh, scared of the game that's being played and wondering what deals you know, uh, and, and, and you know, and I start to yeah. what's going. Yeah, that sounds more like it could be sort of like you know, like dealing with a corrupt political situation. Yeah, that one seems to be much more overt and a little less abstract. That one goes down the path that I had imagined about this being a song about the violent nature of mankind. So in the nighttime, wake and fright, I mean, pretty self-explanatory, waking up at night, scared of just all the war that's going on and not knowing what the future holds. I'm so scared of the game that's being played. Start to wonder what's going under and how many deals have been made. I mean, we all know that the government is not clandestine. They do a lot of corrupt, nasty shit behind our back. They have a lot of deals with weapons manufacturers. Yeah. People realize that there is a vested interest for war to continue and for there not to be world peace. Probably 100% true, but this is not a political podcast. But we're talking about this because that's sort of the way that I view these lyrics, just mm. as a sort of as a sort of anti-war statement about how the world is becoming so consumed by violence that it's having an effect on the psyche of people to the point where they're waking up in the middle of the night sweating and afraid of what the future holds. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, um, I think, I think that, you know, that it's a, it's a shame he doesn't remember exactly where his mind was when he wrote it. But I think there is a lot of interesting stuff going on here that we, yeah. we uh, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that right now because we're at a really uncertain point in our history. And I'm not <laughs> sure what attitudes are where um, in Europe and Asia right now. But I can tell you for a fact that here in the United States, there's a lot of anxiety right now about current political affairs because the backlash against liberalism and progressivism is just like it's like it really started in 2016 and it's just gotten so much stronger and now we're like in addition to that like so there's political instability and we are looking down the barrel of climate armageddon and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot that people are feeling hopeful about i'm actually like to the point where i almost feel like it's 
it's almost like ignorant to be hopeful at this point. Like I, cause I just, me personally, I do not see what there is to be hopeful about. I feel like things are only getting worse. I, I feel that it's sort of like a powder keg situation all over the place at this point. Yeah. Um, it is. I think, think things are very volatile here. I mean, you see like a major change in the last few years where the kind of like, uh, sort of ideas and thoughts that normally would have, you know, more so be hidden on sort of the darker parts of the internet are now very much uh, allowed into the sort of, a, you know, very up in the, out in the open. Um, so there's a, yeah. it's a scary, it's a scary, it's a scary time to be alive. And I think that, I think that there's sort of also a um, sort of human kind of arrogance about the fact that this is going to be fine. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing suggests this is going to be fine. The dinosaurs are, Probably thought it was going to be fine too. They ain't around either. Uh, <laughs> you know, George George Carlin had a whole thing about people talking about you know environment people in the environmental situation talking about, um, you know how how we need to. He, he was not a big fan of the sort of green movement, but his thing, his thoughts there were more about the fact that people were talking about how we need to you know we need to fix the situation you know so we'll, you know so the earth so we can save the earth. He says he said you know so you not to worry the the earth, the earth isn't going anywhere. We are though. <laughs> he's right. Yeah, like a hundred percent. He's fine. Like I remember that sketch too. It says yeah. like like I remember we said the Earth is gonna go on. Like it's just gonna be fine. You know, like maybe the whole purpose of life. We don't know. Maybe it's to produce plastic. Yeah, I mean that's like, like yeah. He brought up a good point though. It's like like the human race is kind of in peril, but the Earth the Earth will still be here when we're gone. Yeah, I mean, and again, who knows? I mean, you know, there's there's nothing that suggests, you know, again, it's just arrogance that would assume we are the main event of this planet. Yeah, nothing, you know, and we could just be another phase, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you know, that might necessarily that's also not necessarily affect anyone. I I don't think we're going to go extinct in the lifetime of anyone here, but I think I definitely definitely we'll see the start of it. You know, and I think we already have now. I mean, just look at look at we talked about heat wave and we talked about heat in the last episode. Uh, I mean, the, the, the temperature, not the band. Uh, yeah. And you know, the, the band are fine. They're just probably not going to cause the end of the world. But look at Bart Simpson meme where Bart says, "Man, this is the hottest summer of my life." And Homer Simpson grabs him by the shoulder and says, "Son, it's the coldest summer of the rest of your life." <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I like that. This is the worst day of my life. The worst day of your life so far. (laughs) Yeah. Now, for all the talk about the lyrics we've gotten in so far, we haven't discussed the music really yet. And there's plenty to praise on that front, because I think Screaming for Vengeance has Halford's best vocals. It's great. Yeah. Yes. I am inclined to agree. Yeah. And the song keeps that nice, groovy riff going. The and overall like this is a song that you can really jam out to and swing your head and move back and forth yeah man this song has groove for days you don't have to try to get into this song you put it on and you just are into it yeah man this is the song that you blare from the speakers of your 1976 chevy camaro as you're driving down the freeway at like 90 miles an hour much like the rest of this album Definitely. Yes. I like how I went from the end of the world to like, you know, fucking driving. <laughs> what, enjoy life while it lasts. Hey man, because like, man, he's not going to be here forever. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to enjoy. That's like the whole thing about existentialism is like knowing that we're probably doomed and that that doesn't mean that we can't have fun along the way. Yeah. I think it's only a few minutes later when Rob Halford tells us on this album, one life so we gotta live it up yeah indeed yeah bro and another great way to live your life would be by hearing the guitar solo in this song which are uh, amazing yeah let's do it oh please
is one of my favorite KK Downing solos by far. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. It descends yep. and then it goes back and ascends upward, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. He's going first, he's going down and then he goes right back up on that fretboard. Like that. The, and, and the entire time he's just like not slowing down. He's playing like, like a, like 120 notes a minute or some ridiculous mm. number. So yeah. Sick. yeah, it's weird. Like, it's like, is that a person who has four fingers? Like, you really can't tell almost because he's just, he's just hitting, he's just playing so fast and he's hitting so many notes at once. It's like a blur. It's also very bluesy in the beginning. They're really heavy mm-hmm. and it, it, it's a really like. Yeah, that's about as close as Downing gets to being melodic. That's a, it's a, I always, I'm a sucker for that kind of. Uh, those kind of solos in like a sort of hard rock metal situation. Again, I refer, you know uh, mentioned uh, Mr. Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. He's mm. very good at that. Yeah, you know, so. searingly fast. Yeah. So the producer Tom Allum, when he was asked about how Screaming for Vengeance compared to the album before Point of Entry, he said that there were some real powerful songs on Screaming for Vengeance. One that particularly stuck with him was Bloodstone, and he said it has a great riff. And he thinks that Judas Priest, they were kind of guided by the reactions that they got from their fans. And with Point of Entry, they were sort of playing ball with what the record label wanted. And when they got to Screaming for Vengeance, they said, no, we're not going to give the fans what the record label thinks they want. We're yeah. going to give the fans what we think they want mm. because we know better than the label. Yeah. Like, man, you want to talk about like being completely disconnected from reality, man. It doesn't get much more like stereo typically apt than a record producer, like not mm. like a record label, like yeah. the suits who like are somehow in charge of the music industry, despite not knowing anything about it. Yeah, that's yeah. It's I think there's that's, I mean, that's a problem. problem. Yeah, it, it's it's a thing that I think thankfully that's just the way sort of the industry has kind of you know changed quite a bit. But I think that maybe that kind of interference doesn't happen in the same level because uh, a lot of people are just doing stuff on their own. You know, yeah. in a sense. Um, yeah, it's yeah. becoming a thing of the past. And let's face it, the label needs an artist more than an artist needs the label. Yes. Yeah, they tend to forget that, though. Especially nowadays. Most people in high positions of authority tend to forget that you need people more than they need you. Yeah. Yeah. People in suits, they cause the problems everywhere. They really do. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, and it feels bad because I like wearing a suit, but... Every time I hear one, mm. makes me feel like, man, I don't want to be a suit. Yeah. Give me a good T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. I don't want to do this. I want to party. <laughs> you know it, Tom. Party man song just cues in. <laughs> and speaking of parties, the end of this song feels like one. Oh, it does. <laughs> this is the type of song I like to drink Miller Lite to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear this. I never knew that's what he was saying at the end. That's so cool. I love those little ad-libbed lines he's throwing out. The, so cool. I don't want that. And those other ones. It, it, it just adds so much fun to the song. Yep. That's it. Yeah, it's, it's such a, again, I'm not, I, I, I've not had a Miller Light in many years, but if I, I, it's definitely a, this tune definitely wants me, makes me want to 
you know, listen to it very loud in a sort of beer related situation. Perfectly yeah. outdoors. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. There's like a few things like my dad always says this about George Thorogood. He's like, when you listen to George Thorogood, you need to have a beer in your hand. And the same is true when you were listening to Screaming for Vengeance. Indeed. Yeah, unless you're in a car, in which case don't have a beer on you. No. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe when you get home. Yeah. Maybe if you have a non-alcoholic beer, but unless you do, don't drink and drive. But do have a beer and listen to Screaming for Vengeance. Yes. Do that. Absolutely yeah. have a beer when you listen to this or don't. It's your call. If you can do it safely. Not, to encourage, that, uh... not to encourage alcoholism. Even though we have alcohol in every single oh, episode. Oh, fuck that. I'm encouraging alcoholism. <laughs> How the fuck else are you supposed to cope with this bullshit? <laughs> you, you could be a pothead, too. That's true. All right. <laughs> but enough of that. I mean, dude, this song rocks. Yeah. And the outro, the outro is fun because just like we talked about in the last episode with Halls of Valhalla, they just give a little something extra to the last instance of the chorus. Mm. In this case, it's the whole extra lines that Rob is throwing in at the end. The whole, I can't take it. In between each instance of him singing Bloodstone. Yeah, I never noticed at the end. He says, you got me living on a Bloodstone. Because he sings it so fast. It's yeah. Like, you got me living on Yeah. I don't want that Bloodstone. Yeah, and can we just like talk about how perfect the chorus is too? It's literally just him screaming bloodstone, and you just you just believe it. It's like, yes, totally. I get that. And I I I I love this song so much. This is like almost a perfect priest song. I think it might be a perfect song, honestly. Wow. Eric, what do you say to yep. that? Yeah, I mean, you're not far. This is this is one of those rare birds that is very much like. I I can't find anything any I can't there's no there's no faults to it. it just it just fires on all six cylinders or whoever many cylinders however many cylinders you're supposed to have yeah that's what it has and it's firing on all of them on um, all of them yeah. it's firing yeah. on all of them we spoke about this when we were um, when we talked about Jawbreaker with Kyle we said that this song does not overstay its welcome and it is just the right amount of time and it doesn't say or do anything it doesn't have to. It's a sort of cool, sort of short to the point kind of rocker. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, it's it just. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect in length. It's perfect in it, it. It does exactly what it needs to do, and it doesn't. Like you said, the perfect saying that it doesn't overstay its welcome. That's a perfect way of putting it. Mm. Addy, what do you got? I think it's very inclusive of a song. Like you can play it with anyone. The person doesn't have to like even appreciate hard rock or metal, and they'll still vibe with it. Yeah, true. Yeah, Judas Priest is like probably one of the most approachable metal bands. In my opinion, That's it, yes. yeah. Mm, yeah. Anytime someone shows an interest in metal at first, like the first band I show them is Priest. I gotta get my charger real fast. One minute. I fucking pulled you. You're right. There you go. Got I also I, was. I just want to go on the record here that I also thought like, yeah, I think you're right. And I didn't say anything. I, said it now, so. <laughs> I don't know why people always doubt me. So I want to say I'm on the right. I think I'm on the right side of history. <laughs> you will be. You you are, and no, I'm sorry. You were and are now vindicated. There you go. Yep. And I feel I, I was always on your team in this one, but I figured that it wasn't my place to say. I no. <laughs> appreciate you, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> Let's see if he makes it back in time. That'd be <laughs> okay. Here we go. Still line percent. That's nine percent. Oh, that should be fine though. Yeah, we'll be good. He's got it right now. Yay! Right. No, it's eight percent now. These scores, we're good. Yeah. Oh well, there we go. Something that I want to say about the chorus, since you brought it up, like it doesn't feel to me like one of those choruses where it's just the name of the song over and over. But it is. It's a one-note chorus, or I should say it's a one-word chorus, but there's a call and response with the instrumentation that I think gives it more depth. So when this song gets stuck in my head, I'm not singing Bloodstone. What I'm actually singing when the song is stuck in my head is 
Bloodstone. Yep, yep, yep. That's the chorus to me. Yeah. The guitar lick is equally as much a part of the chorus as the words. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's another cool thing happening there where, like, it does sort of, like, encapsulate the song in its entirety. Like, when you hear Bloodstone, you hear the rest of the song echoed in that one word. Right, because it all goes back to that first riff that you heard at the beginning of the song. Yep. The whole... That's such a cool riff. That is a great riff, man. I want more of that in my metal. Like, those sort of, like, arpeggiated and, like, cool, like chord progression heavy metal you know right and there might be a few people who give us some flack for not criticizing priest heavily enough i think we do in some songs but in a song like this what am i really gonna complain about yeah this riff is awesome the vocals are awesome man if there were any flaws (laughs) in this song that i could speak of I'd be the first to tell you, but yeah, dog. This, this song's pretty much a 10 for me, man. Yeah, we didn't start this podcast because Priest is terrible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. That's We, we kind of get some of the same criticism uh, or we, or we have very briefly when people who, and I mentioned that I do an Iron Maiden podcast, they go, oh, so I guess it's just you guys, you know, fucking gushing over, over everything you've ever done. Like, no, not at all. There's there's stuff that we legit don't like and that that, that is definitely brought up. There's certain songs that, you know, when you when you read some of your favorite songs, yeah, you're probably going to be, the episode might be more overwhelmingly positive than when you have to discuss, like, a, a not-so-great song. But, you know, it, it wouldn't be particularly fun if there wasn't a variation. But, yeah. but again, at the end, end of the day, we didn't start the fucking podcast because we hate Iron Maiden. So. Yeah, man. <laughs> and if you did, then, let's face it, you have a pretty unpopular podcast. Yeah. I mean, who, honestly, is going to take you seriously yeah. if you were... Saying fear of the dark and the trooper were terrible songs. Yeah, no one's gonna want you're that. You're gonna praise them, rightfully so, you know. Yeah, man. It's yeah. like you gotta tell people, man, you're gonna hurt your legs if you keep jumping at conclusions like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, listen, man, we will tear a priest a new asshole when they deserve it. But you know, when a song is great, what am I gonna do? Not here and I'm like, I'm not gonna sit here and gush over bloodstone. Give me a break. Yeah. yeah. The studio version, it's executed so cleanly Mm. and perfectly, and the production on Screaming for Vengeance is slick. It almost feels like an 80s pop album. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, the production is so clean, man. It's, it's, oh, it's delicious. I love it. I can, I, this is probably of all the Priest albums that I'd listen to, might be the one that I never get sick of hearing. Mm. No, like I've got my favorites. I've got the ones that I think are the best. But in terms of sheer replayability, Screaming for Vengeance in my book has them all beat. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely, man. I I, I had it. I had it on the listen to. All, I listened to it the whole way through actually a couple of times uh, yesterday on the way home. Hell yeah! Um, it's uh from it's it's a it's a scorcher. It's it's mm. it's amazing. I feel I overuse that word, but that's fine. In, in this case, it's warranted. You're allowed to. You know what? This is yeah. your opinion. You're allowed to. There you go. It's your episode, man. Yeah, man. This is your episode, dog. Well, thank you, man. This is this this is this is a. Uh, yeah, I can't say it's 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 just a such a amazing. It's just a cool fucking song. That's just that's put it that way. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, dude. Bloodstone is cool as hell. Indeed. Let's talk a little set list history. Mm-hmm. So, for how great of a song Bloodstone is. It wasn't really played live too much. Judas Priest did it a lot on the Screaming for Vengeance tour in 1982 and 83. Then in 1984, only a few times. Then they dropped it until 1990. Mm. That was the Painkiller tour. And they played Bloodstone a whopping three times. (laughs) Oh, As far as what's documented. Now, that song, Bloodstone, remained dormant until the Firepower tour where they played it a good bit, 67 times. Damn. And that's just one more example of a hidden gem of a song that was revived for the Firepower Tour. And you probably hear us keep saying that over and over, but that's only because it keeps coming up. Yeah. They played over 40 (laughs) songs on that tour. And the expansive set list, it brought back a lot of those sick tunes. Yeah, dude. So... 
that's interesting. And if you're a fan of the song, you might be dying to hear what it sounds like nowadays. Mm. So I've got a nice 2018 live version queued up. Yeah. Well, you know what? When playing 40 songs live stops being impressive, we'll stop talking about it. Yeah. I think maybe I actually, probably not the first one, right? (laughs) (laughs) I checked this one out before. This is a good version. Oh, word. Yeah. So we've got right now live in Hamilton in 2018. Yeah, this is a good one, guys. Let's take a quick lesson. As you can hear, fits in nicely with Judas Priest's modern sound. You know, it Definitely. doesn't sound like they're missing a beat when they play that. No, nah, man. Richie Faulkner was born to be a rock star, man. Like, he's yep. just got so much charisma and energy. It's unreal. Like, what a charming fellow. Yeah. 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 He also emulates he, that. That sounded almost. I mean, not. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, different, slightly different versions because it's, it's, it's live. But that sounded fucking pretty close to the album version, didn't it? You know, yeah. even sound wise. Yeah, man. Like Richie might actually be a cleaner player than Glenn, honestly. Yeah. That being said, we can't let you go without playing you a little bit of that guitar solo from Richie. So here is something that absolutely blows my mind. Mm-hmm. How did he learn that solo without talking to KK Downing? And how does he play it better than him? Because he has the technical skill to yeah. play the notes quickly and <sighs> throw in a bunch of notes per second like KK. Yeah, but you had to think, dude, he had to figure out how to play that from scratch. And he nailed it. God, just so awesome. Why doesn't this guy get talked about more in like metal circles or guitar circles? I mean, I think I think he does definitely get he does, especially nowadays, he gets he gets not quite a bit of praise, but yeah. he doesn't have the sort of mainstream maybe kind of uh, recognition I think he deserves. Yeah, all right, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. You know for a fact that if this guy was born 20 years earlier and he yeah. was touring with Priest in the 80s, he would be like looked at the same way Tipton and Downing are looked at yeah. because he's no less skilled. And, you know, in terms of his personality, seems like a pretty nice guy to me. Never heard, never heard any complaints about him. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, and even his name just sounds like household, almost like Richie Faulkner. That sounds like a household name, like a virtuoso. Like that's like, if, if I told you like, if you had no context and I told you about a guy named Richie Faulkner, you'd be like, oh, was he like a guitar virtuoso? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also he's the kind of thing, you give it a few years, he'll definitely be on the sort of pedestal with all the other guys. Mm. You know, that's sort of, 
that takes a bit of time. I mean, if you jump back to probably early, uh, whenever Zach Wild joined Aussie's band, I don't think people were, you know, you know, praising him in the same way they are nowadays. Now, yeah. I think, to be fair, I'll say I think that Faulkner's a better player than Zach. Yeah. yeah, and that's a really fair point, too. Like, it might just be a matter of time. There's only, there's only a few people who I think are really sort of praised sort of as they're when they're still doing it or as they're in the prime. I think that maybe I just kind of we mentioned damage plan earlier. I think Dimebag definitely was one of those dudes who was praised during his his life. And that's sort of yeah. and you get people like that. But otherwise otherwise a lot of times it's 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 more in hindsight that people kind of get that. Yeah. The, I feel like that's almost the nature of art too is that like art kind of it kind of takes a few years to click with people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it happened with I remember um Al Al Cisneros from Sleep was talking about that. He said, and that was kind of like he asked the question, and then it, I, I've just been wondering about it to this day. Is that just the way art is? Does it always like take like maybe sometimes something is so ahead of its time that like you know you it does take a little bit of time before people have like the proper cultural context to understand it. Who knows? It's like the quote from Back to the Future when he plays Johnny Be Good. You know, I guess you guys are ready for that right now, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah, great yeah. reference too. <laughs> Is that our first Back to the Future reference? It is. This, oh, wow. This podcast? Well, that's a damn shame. That's my favorite movie. Yeah. Like, oh, it's one of mine, too. Haha. <laughs> well, listen, you know what? I think that this better late than never, you know? Good point. Mm-hmm. All right. Guys, any wrap-up thoughts on Bloodstone and Screaming for Vengeance? Patty, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, what else to say? Like, uh, I think it's almost like what we can call perfectionist. So, yeah, I, I'm speechless right now because I'm still processing all the zeal we are having from like listening to this song together. Yeah, yeah. Because now I just want to like I'm about to drive to New York in a little bit, and I know I know what song I'm listening to. Oh yeah, <laughs> man! This song is an earworm. By the definition of the word, it gets right into your brain and it sinks in. Even after one listen, that riff is with you. It's staying with you. It's going right in the back of your head. I have been listening to it all evening. It's, um, yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those ones that the second we're off, when when we sign off here, I'm going to listen to it again. That's, yeah. That's I think that is the general consensus. We're all going to be listening to this song today. Yes. Definitely. I'll be sleeping, but yeah, sure. Ah, fair. All right. Well, tomorrow, you know, you'll don't, be hearing it tomorrow. Don't worry. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be in your dreams. It'll be echoing right <laughs> in your head. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Word. Yeah. Eric, I got to thank you so much for joining us for two great episodes. And this is and even one more in the past. Listeners, if you didn't hear Judas Rising a few months ago, check out that back episode. Mm. And Eric tells us about his Judas Priest origin story. And we celebrate Angel of Retribution and how much we love that album. So check out that one. And also check out Eric's show. Eric, for the listeners, what are you doing with Maiden A to Z right now? Well, so right now, uh, and also thanks for the kind words, and also thanks for having me. I really enjoyed doing this. I'm, I'm, you, I'm, I'll be, I'll be happy to show up whenever, whenever you guys want me. I will be here. The honor's ours. Uh, so big net is he right now. We're kind of, uh, sort of still on sort of summer vacation, but we're in the sense that we're releasing episodes, but they're sort of not really. We haven't got back to our main kind of itinerary yet. Um, so because uh, what we do, the Iron Maiden a little bit. We do. There's still Maiden talk because I think we're about to record a big. Uh, an episode this week discussing the this weekend, you know, the gig and whatnot and all that whole that experience. But usually what we do for people who are not aware, we sort of go through Maiden's discography one song at a time in alphabetical order. Now we haven't we haven't really gotten to the, it's been a while since we've gotten we've done any songs because we we decided to first take a bit of a, a vacation and then we decided to sort of just do some more special sort of special episodes. So I think we're gonna get back to the list in late August. Uh, but for the time being, we're just doing fun sort of like we're doing a festival special and we're going to be doing a Gothenburg special soon, uh, sort of detailing the gig. And I think we're just sort of having fun for a little bit before we get back to the main sort of the matter of, at hand, so to say. Uh, very cool stuff, Eric. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, made in A to Z. 
they're on the same network as us, the Deep Dive Podcast Network, with lots of other great shows dedicated to specific artists. And I should not let this episode end without giving them a plug. And, of course, plugging one of those shows in particular, and the podcast will rock, all about Van Halen. They just had me as a guest on one of their recent episodes. They spin a wheel with all the Van Halen songs on them, (laughs) and it's a random selection every episode. And so I got saddled with a song from Van Halen 3, which is their worst album. (laughs) It's sort of like their Demolition or their St. Anger. It's a real infamous album. And I got the random luck of the draw to talk about a song from that one. And I dumped on it a little bit, but we had a lot of fun. Congratulations, buddy. (laughs) It was a good one. But uh, hey, uh, so check them out and the other great shows on the Deep Dive Mm. Network much like us and made an A to Z. Mm-hmm. All right, my friends. Thanks again. I had a blast hanging with you all today, talking some priest, talking some metal. Mm. Eric, you're, you are three for three. Now you are the most, cool. you, you have the most guest appearances on our pod so far. Well, I'm uh, very, I'm very honored to hold the record. Eric, that being said, would you like to send us out? Maybe you want to start it, Hattie. All right, let's do that. What up listeners? Until next time. Uh, stay locked in. Yeah. Keep defending the faith. <laughs> yeah, we nailed it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm too sleepy for everything. Sorry, Hattie. It's super late for you. Uh let's let no, you get to that. Word. <laughs> All right, well All guys, right. I'm have a grab. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye.